just so you will know what we're doing, and uh, it is, in all seriousness, it is a very emotional thing to to say goodbye to a group of people and a church that you've been ministering in for 21 and a half years. It is, it is profoundly moving in, in a way that you really, you really can't describe it to people. It's, it's just, it's a different kind of thing to pastor a church. Um, we're, we're not severing our relationship with you. We are transitioning from being your lead pastors to being what I want you to think of, what we would like you to think of as our, as your missionaries to America. Because as you know, I've always had a passion to see revival come to America. I'm under no illusions. I don't believe revival can come to America through one person or one ministry. But I do believe this. If revival or spiritual renewal is ever going to come to this country, it's not going to come through Washington. And it's not going to come through Hollywood. It can only come through one arm of existence, one institution, one organ in America. And that is the church that Jesus Christ founded with his own blood. The local church, I am telling you, the local church is the only hope for this country. I believe in the church. I'm a supporter of the church. I've given my life to the church. And what, what we want to do, there are several things we want to do. As you all know, Pastor Donna has been called of God to write and she is writing a book, uh, a series of books now that, that are an introductory book to her uh, writing giftedness. But in time, she'll be writing a biblical uh, fiction book. And when you see that, and it will come out, and when you see that, make sure you grab it. Uh, I, I'll be writing a nonfiction book at some point, but not right away. What I'm going to be into is a couple of things. The main thing I'm going to be into is called Renew America. It is a nonprofit organization that, uh, that I founded. It is a 501c3 tax exempt, just like a church. And what Renew America is, is a couple of things. Number one, it's a, it's a, a ministry that, again, I founded it. And it's a ministry that basically just wants to see as many people won to Christ as possible before Jesus comes back. And I don't believe the coming of Christ is very far away. The second thing, Renew America, is it is, a, it is an opportunity for pastors to say, hey, would you come and partner with my church? And I want to do four things in a church. And if you're a pastor of a church and, and your church is kind of plateaued, and by the way, 85% of the churches in America are plateaued or declining. Think about that. That's an alarming statistic. We need to change that. What I would like to do, come in and partner with the church. Imagine you're the pastor. Your church is doing okay, but it's not setting the world on fire. I want to come in there and do, help you do four things. And it's not that I can do this. God has to do this. But sometimes it just takes a different voice. I'd like to come in, number one, see the people in that church get more consecrated, more fired up, more committed to Christ than they've ever been in their lives. No more gameplay and no more casual Christianity. I'm talking about lock, stock, and barrel, sold out, full bore, all in for God like they never have before. Every person in that church, that's the first thing. The second thing, every person in the church get in unity together. No division, no discord in the church. The Holy Spirit did not come down in the upper room until all the apostles who were there were in one mind and one accord. Unity is an amazing thing. And there's so many schisms and divisions and discordant uh, 
voices even within individual churches in America. And it ought not to be so. It just isn't that hard to get along together, you know. Or it ought not be. So the second thing is get the church in unity within itself. The third thing, get the people in unity behind the pastor's vision. The pastor in any church is the final authority in that church, not the board, not even the people. But the pastor under the leadership of the Holy Spirit is, should be the final authority in that church. And that's the way it's presented in the Bible. We've westernized that and we vote on everything and we think the board hires and fires. Actually, board members, if you go biblically, should be appointed by the pastor. That's the biblical pattern that Paul established in his dealings with all the churches he founded. So we get behind the pastor's vision and we, we decide, let's do what God has put in the pastor's heart. Whoever he or she is, get behind that vision. So that's three things. Number one, the church get on fire. Number two, no more division in the church. Number three, get in unity behind the pastor's vision. And number four, if you're going to do anything as a church, I encourage every church to make the main focus of all their efforts primarily and more prominently evangelism. Because personally, I think that's just about all the time we have left is just to win as many people in. And look, you know me, I'm big on spiritual maturity. I want to see people discipled and grown up and called into ministry, filled with the Holy Spirit and all those things. But if they don't get saved, none of the other stuff's ever going to happen. And if they do get saved and Jesus comes within the next two or three months, at least they're going to make it into heaven, you know. So that's, those are the four things that I would like to do with Renew America, partnering with pastors to transform their church, take it to the next level at a, at a grassroots kind of way, not, not just go do a two-week revival series where we blow in, blow up, and blow away, or, or go there and have a, a two-year revival set of services and get a bunch of people coming and get a bunch of stuff going, and, and when everything's over and it's all done, the church goes right back to what it was before. Revival to me is not an event or a series of events. Revival is a way of life every day. And it's what the New Testament Christian experienced. They were passionately on fire for God. If you have your Bibles, I'd like you to take those this morning and turn to the book of Romans chapter 12. If I was going to be marooned on a deserted island and I had one chapter of the Bible that I could pluck out of the Bible and keep with me, one of the top contenders, I'm not saying this is the winner, but one of the top contenders would have to be Romans 12. I want to read the whole chapter. And when any preacher is reading the word of God, don't, don't tune out because that's the only time you can be 100% sure he or she will never be wrong is when they're reading the Bible. <laughs> so any other time I might be wrong, but when I'm reading the Bible, I'm not going to be wrong. So listen to Paul's words to the church of group of Christians at Rome. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. See, worship is not just singing songs at church. Worship is the way we live our lives every day. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Please do not infer from that that there are three wills of God. There is one will of God, and sometimes God will allow us to be in his permissive will, but you really want to be in God's will, period. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, 
Or rather, think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and those members do not all have the same function, so in Christ, we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. Remember that, guys. You belong to one another. We're supposed to function together as a body. No disunity. We have different parts. According to the grace given to each of us, if your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Love must be sincere. I want to say a word about love and the kingdom of God. I think that perhaps love in the kingdom of God has become one of the most misunderstood and misrepresented dynamics of biblical principle. Everybody thinks that love means a warm smile, a friendly, encouraging word, a handshake and a hug, and a nice little event with a warm cup of coffee and some chili, and that's love. And, and a gentle, spirited smile, pastor is so loving. Let me tell you something. If your pastor's not telling you the truth, he doesn't love you. If your pastor is not challenging you to grow, he doesn't love you. It is not about encouraging everybody and making us all feel good in mediocrity. It is about growth. It is about challenging us to become all that Jesus died to provide for us to become. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. You know, I think the church is real focused on love but I don't think the church hates evil enough, maybe. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil, but be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. I'd like to talk with you today a message simply entitled, From My Heart. One other thing that Renew America wants to do, I've been, several years ago, I was given the opportunity back in 2010 the true story. I sat down on my bed. I looked at Pastor Donna and I said, you know what I'd love to do? And she, she was walking out of the bedroom. She said, what? I said, I would love to be able to do a Christian faith-based outdoor hunting and fishing program. She said, that would be fun. I promise you within less than one minute, my phone rang. It was a guy who, whom I had met on the White River in Arkansas, just at random and, and kind of helped him, you know, with, with some fly fishing stuff. And uh, he was trying to cast, having a hard time. I gave him some tips and all, and he remembered me. And he called and he said, hi, this is Dave, and just wanted to know if you'd like to have your own outdoor hunting and fishing show on the Sportsman's Channel. I was like, 
Let me pray about it, Dave. Yes. (laughs) But I need to tell you this. I, I want you to hear this. Since then, it's like Satan himself has just decided, I am going to fight you on this TV show every step of the way. Since then, I tore my chest in the gym, had to have that surgically re- repaired. I had to have total knee replacement on my left knee. My father died, which turned my world upside down. I don't know if it's ever going to be right. My best friend in the ministry, J.R. Gould, died. Just went to sleep one night at 60 years old, never woke up. You better be ready. You never know. (laughs) He didn't know anything was wrong with him. He went to bed, never got up. I will tell you this. You might want to think about your lunch as kind of a tip. He did go eat Mexican food. Anyway, (laughs) some of you think about it. Uh, We went through all kinds of stuff here at the church. Had to come back here and move everything. And you know the story. But I'm going to tell you something. Through all that, God has been with us, and we've been able to make a lot of progress. And just a few weeks back, and, and the Sportsman's Network, the Sportsman's Channel, still wants the show. They still want the show. And Dave just went down to Florida and presented the show to CTN, the Christian Television Network, and they want the show. Uh, the one in Florida is going to be local, about one and a half million people. But the Sportsman's cha- Channel will be nationwide when we get on. So Renew America is also underwriting the expenses of this show. And you might think, well, what is a TV show about hunting and fishing going to do? Did you know that the most popular outdoor recreational sport in America is fishing? 20 million Americans fish. Man, you can reach a lot of people with an outdoor TV show. Imagine how many men's ministries events we might get invited to to go speak and talk to them about Jesus. Imagine how many, if we get on television like that, how many people have followed the Away From It All YouTube channel? The show's going to be called Away From It All. Imagine how many people have followed the YouTube channel. So there's a lot we can do through the TV show uh, that to reach literally millions of people with seeds concerning Jesus Christ. So be in prayer about that. That's the other thing that we want to do with Renew America. And there, there are many other things, but... But that's a big part of it is, is the Away From It All show. And we do have a YouTube channel already called Away From It All TV, capital letters. If you go to YouTube and look that up, you'll be able to, to find it. And we, we do some survival and bushcraft and hunting and fishing on there, kind of as on, you know, an entree into, into who we are. So what do you say to a church? What do you say when you're the pastor and you've been there 21 and a half years and at your last complete sermon? I am going to be here Wednesday night, by the way, and we're going to do one last Q&A. So Wednesday night, question and answer session. Bring any question you have about the Bible or even uh, I'm not an expert on current events or anything like that, but we'll answer things the best we can. So Wednesday night at 7 o'clock right here, last time to ask a question to me, and uh, we'll, we'll answer them the best we can. What do you say to people when it's your last time to talk to them? And it won't be my last time, but as your pastor. Well, I prayed about that and thought about it, and I wrote down some notes, and I may depart from these and ramble a little bit like Jesus did at the Sermon on the Mount. You know, that's one of the most rambling messages you ever want to hear in your life. I've seen these these sketches of the architectural building he built with all these words, and I'm like, man, get away from that. Jesus just rambled for 45 minutes. Number one, draw closer to God than ever. The end times are here. Be ready. If I could leave you with a thought, this would be it. 
You know, the one thing that's going to keep you out of heaven is sin. Personal opinion, personal opinion. I think deep, unconfessed bitterness and unforgiveness are going to keep most, more Christians out of heaven than anything else. You just can't carry around unforgiveness in your heart. And, and your forgiveness of people that have wronged you cannot be enough to salve your conscience, and that's it. Your forgiveness of those who have wronged you needs to be of the depth and consequence that it resonates as real with God. The end times are here. We've got to be ready. Don't answer. Don't raise your hand. Is it in an altar call? I just want to ask you a question. Are you ready for the rapture? Right now. Not tomorrow. Not after service. Right now. This very moment. Rapture just occurred. Are you ready? Are you still sitting here? You got to be ready. Not someday. Not when you feel like it. You got to be ready now. The Bible says today's the day of salvation. We cannot play games with God. And I'm going to tell you this in love. I'm not being cocky or, or smart alecky. I just want you to hear. It really doesn't matter what we think. I'm telling you, people are in love with their own opinion. They, they read the Bible and they, they look at TV and they look at church. They go to all these churches. They get confused about what the Bible says. They listen to all these different voices. And they really don't know what the Bible says anymore. So they make up their own theology. And they become convinced that their opinion is right and accurate. I'm going to tell you something. Five words are going to determine our eternity. And those five words are, what does the Bible say? Amen. What do I think is not in that equation? We've got to get right with God. And we've got to be ready. The end times are here. A lot of you have asked me, Pastor, can you go over that list one more time of things that I need to get to prepare in case things get bad? I don't have them on the list, but I'll give them to you. There's seven things I'm going to recommend to you because you've asked for them as survival items just in case we have to live off grid at some point or whatever. Number one is cutting tools. You need a knife, saw, and an axe. Number two is a combustion device, something to build fire with. Number three is cover. You've got to be able to stay dry. Number four is cordage. You've got to have rope. One of the most difficult things to acquire from the landscape is cordage. It's very difficult to make cordage. So buy you some good rope. Containers, stainless steel is best. A compass, you know what that's for. And a confrontation defense device. <laughs> also spelled G-L-O-C-K. So those are things I'd recommend you consider since you asked. But those things aren't going to help you get into heaven. They may help you extend your life down here. But we're not supposed to be living for this life. We're supposed to be living this life for the next one. We're supposed to be seeing this life as an investment in eternity. Let me tell you what life is all about. If you went to Tibet and you climbed up this great big mountain and at the top of it you found a, a hooded monk in an orange suit with bare feet sitting cross-legged on a rock and you went to him and you said, Oh, great guru, teach me the meaning of life. There's no telling what he might say. But you don't have to do all that because I'll give you the answer right here today, right now. I didn't have my orange suit and I'm not barefoot, but I can give you the answer. Here's what life is. Your life and mine right now today are simply a proving ground to demonstrate what we're going to do with Jesus Christ and God's will for our life. Period. That's what our life is all about. That is the great meaning of life, oh great guru, I tell you. 
Number two, there is much, much work to be done. Find God's will for your life and do it. I've had a chance to do a lot of things since I've been in the ministry. Different businesses, different opportunities, some of them unbelievably lucrative. And I have not engaged in any of those, and I've stayed faithful in the ministry when it was very hard. I want to say a word about pastoral ministry. It's one of the same time, one of the most rewarding and one of the most difficult things you ever want to do in your life. And I've worked dozens and dozens of jobs out there in the world. I know what it feels like. But ministry is at the same time incredibly rewarding and unbelievably difficult at moments. But I do want to tell you this. Pastor Donna and I are not leaving as your pastors because of any unknown reason or any deep, dark secret. And we're sure not doing it because anybody's sideways with us or vexed. We are always told you we'd be here till God said it was time for us to go. And we've made good on that promise. Storms came and went. After the dust settled, we still were here. And it's same true right now. And we're doing what we're doing because we feel like it's God's timing and God's moment and nothing else. And we don't want you to feel like we're saying goodbye or severing our relationship with you because we're certainly not. In fact, in fact, we want you to know that we're bound with you in heart and in soul. And we love you guys. And we're, we're going to want, want you to feel like you have a, a part in what we do. And you will. But there is much, much work to be done in this community and in this church. Matthew 7, 21, 22, and 23 are the three verses that kept me in the ministry really all these years. And if you're here and you're in ministry and you're going through a difficult time, and, and be honest, you know, in any ministry, you're going to go through tough times. You're going to go through challenging seasons. You're going to be tempted to just quit and do something else. You're going to be tempted, tempted to get discouraged and and not want to continue. The Bible says, do not become weary in doing good because in due time you'll reap a harvest if you do not give up. Matthew 7, 21, 22 and 3, 22 and 23 says this, not everyone who comes to me and says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will come to me on that day and say, Lord, Lord, in your name do we not drive out demons and perform many miracles and do wondrous works? And I will tell them plainly, I never knew you away from me, you evildoer. You see, it's not about the good things we do. It's about the God things we do. Right. We have to obey God's will. And we can go to Swaziland and build a church and see it grow to 10,000 members in a year. But if God never called us to go to Swaziland, what have we really done? You see, it's most important that we do God's will. And I'm going to tell you something about God's will. You remember this. The footsteps of Jesus, oh, to be like Jesus, to be like Jesus. You better mean it, because the footsteps of Christ lead to a cross. They lead to a place of sacrifice. They lead to a place of self-deprecation and self-confrontation and humiliation and death. And I'm not saying you're going to have to go through that, but I'm saying in your heart, you're going to have to become less and Jesus is going to have to be exalted in your spirit in order for you to walk out the footsteps of Jesus Christ. 
You may feel like you've already been crucified. You've been laid in the tomb and you are done. But let me tell you something. The footsteps of Jesus don't just lead to that tomb. They lead back out. Glory be to God. There's a day coming when God's power will resurrect you. Don't you give up. Don't you get discouraged. There's much work to be done. Find God's will for you and do it. You have to pursue this. You have to seek this. You have to decide that life means more than the American picket fence dream. That life means more than retiring with enough to live off the interest. That life means more than security. You have to decide for yourself that life is really about doing God's will. And I can tell you at the end of the day, that is what life is about. It's about doing God's will. Everything else is window dressing. Next. Help pastors Josh and Kelly reach the community. Help your pastors reach this community for Jesus Christ. God never called the pastor and his wife and his family to do all the work in the church. The job description of a pastor in a church is in Ephesians chapter 4. To equip the people for works of service. It's Pastor Josh and Kelly's job to equip you. It's all of your job to go out and reach this community and bring people here to this church and grow it to the place it's never been before. And I believe the best days of this church can be right ahead of it. I believe that. But that's not going to be up to your new leaders, your new pastors, Josh and Kelly. That's going to be up to how you respond to them, to their leadership, to their calling, to their injunction, to their challenge, to their equipping of you. Help them reach this community. Now, Pastor Josh and Kelly may do some things differently than Pastor Donna and I did. In fact, I'm pretty sure they're going to. You know what? That's not a bad thing. That's a good thing. Now, you know what? None of you has even thought today about the color of that wall. Nobody's thought about the color of that wall. If you've come in here today and you've thought, What color should that wall be? Raise your hand. I want to know if anybody has had that thought. See, not one person. What color should that wall be? But the minute you put it on a business meeting agenda, now all of a sudden everybody's got a strong opinion about this wall. I'm leaving so I can say this. That's just stupid. If it's not important to you before it got on the agenda, it shouldn't matter that much once it's on the agenda. We've got to be careful that we're not more in love with our opinion than anything else. I personally don't care what color that wall is. I mean, it can be fuchsia. We can have one of my least favorite things, sequins. <laughs> it's funny, you take plastic discs and sew them together. and Instead of saying, hey, look at this plastic disc top. No, no, that's not cool. Nobody will buy that. But if you call it sequins... <gasps> Wow, sequins, they're plastic discs. That's all they are, they're plastic discs. They are plastic discs! I've always been amazed at that. It doesn't matter. Listen, be easy to get along with in the house of God. Love is the oil in the machine that makes it work. Take the oil out, the motor burns up. Take the love out, the church burns out. Keep all in the engine so that we all flow together smoothly. Help pastors Josh and Kelly reach this community. 
don't major in the minors. It's not a big deal about the things that don't matter that much. Don't build your castle around a mouse. Third, fourth, fifth, whatever it is, embrace change. (laughs) Don't complain. Never compare and get busy. Don't ever, don't ever compare Pastor Josh and Kelly to Pastor Roland and Donna. Not once, not ever. Can I get an amen? We're different people. We're not going to be the same. And that's as it should be. Amen? So don't be comparing. Embrace change. See change as a good thing. Change is evidence of growth. I praise God that my 29-year-old son no longer wears a pull-up. <laughs> See, change is good. It means we're growing. It means we're making progress. Don't complain. Did you know that God killed more of his own people? And yeah, I know that's a harsh-sounding, mean-spirited-sounding statement, but it's just biblically true. God did kill his own people. You realize that. God killed more of his own people over complaining than anything else. Grumbling and complaining. He killed them. Plagues, enemies, the ground opened up and swallowed them. Don't complain about stuff. Be easy to get along with. Amen? And get busy. There's some opportunities for leadership that are going to come open here in the next few weeks. And you're going to hear Pastor Josh and Pastor Kelly uh, probably coming to talk to some of you in person and privately and emailing and text and maybe some announcements across the pulpit, however they choose to do it. But when they ask you to step up, pray about it. And if it if at all possible, step up and be involved in leadership. They need your help. This is not a solo run. This is not the Pastor Josh and Kelly show any more than it has been the Pastor Roland and Donna show. It's all about Jesus, folks. It's not about us. It's about the unsaved of this community. It's about growing us all in the likeness of Christ. And you have to mean it when you say, let us decrease that he might increase. Next, decide that you want to reach people and grow the church. Don't see the church as it is. See it growing. And yes, becoming a large church. If it's about souls, every person who comes is one. The more, the better. Sometimes I I see people get in this self-evolved conflict between souls and numbers. There is no conflict between those two things because every person who comes here, you can count them as a number. They're also a living soul that's going to spend eternity somewhere. It's not necessary for us to have this unnecessary battle between our ears. And I've heard people say, well, I just don't like a large church. I like a smaller church. Stop. The goal of church is three things. Number one, to worship God, to be a place where a corporate body can worship God. Number two, to win as many people as possible to Jesus Christ. And number three, to mature and grow them up into the likeness of Christ. That is the threefold mission of every single church. Back in the 80s and back in the 90s especially, we went through this purpose statement thing. Rick Warren wrote a book, Purpose Driven Church, and everybody felt like they had to make a purpose statement. 
And all these churches, we did it too. We came up with a purpose statement, a vision statement, a mission statement, a value statement. All these churches came up with all these statements. And the whole time we're doing it, I'm sitting there with kind of a grain of salt in my, under my tongue. And I'm thinking, you know, why don't we just read the Bible and say what that says? Because that's our mission and our vision and our values and our purpose. Don't be predisposed to keeping your church small. Be predisposed to doing the work of God. And doing the work of God means more than anything else, winning people to Jesus Christ. I'm going to tell you this, and I say this to you in love. People out in the world, you know what their number one complaint with the church is? Number one. The number one complaint of non-churched people in America today about the church is, in their opinion, I'm not saying it's true or not. I'm just saying in, in the opinion of the unchurched, you can get this from the book All In. In the opinion of the church, uh, I'm sorry, in the opinion of the unchurched, they believe that most Christians that, that they've experienced interaction with do not live what they say they believe. Translation, they, say, they think that we're hypocrites. Now, I'm not going to beat the church up over that, but I am going to encourage you to do something, to understand that People want what they see and believe is real and viable. They don't want something fake. Notice how, notice how the American public is treating Washington right now. Pay attention. They're so turned off by the hypocrisy. The very same people that want to take our guns away are surrounded by armed guards who have guns. The same people that want no walls and open borders live behind gated compounds with high walls behind which are armed guards with guns. They're sick of hypocrisy. American people are sick of seeing football players that make $30 million a year take a knee at the national anthem of this country and the freedom of this nation that good men and women died for provides the umbrella of liberty under which they make that money and they have the unmitigated audacity to not respect our flag and our anthem. American people are sick and tired of this hypocrisy and duplicity and I don't, I don't blame them. And what they don't want to see is come to church and see us in church worshiping God when they just saw us in the grocery store taking the Lord's name in vain. That's just the truth. If we want to impact our world, we got to be real. And it's not always easy to be real and crucify that flesh. And, and I know it sounds like I've set the bar so high. Oh, we got to be perfect is what he's saying. None of us are perfect. My daddy used to say this. It tickled me. He'd always say, well, son, the Lord didn't make any perfect people. He said, but he sure came close a few times. <laughs> My dad was a pickle. But God didn't make us perfect, but he did send us a perfect Savior who died to save us. And the Bible does tell us to strive for perfection. Do our best. Set the bar high on yourself. It's easy to set the bar low. Saw a girl the other day so limber, she could do the limbo underneath a piece of wood set on top of two Coca-Cola bottles. I'm thinking my stomach wouldn't even fit up under high in the world. <laughs> how, do you do, how do you ever figure out that you want to do such a thing? I want to crawl on my back underneath a piece of wood on top of two Coke bottles. I mean, somebody has too much time on their hands. You know what I'm saying? 
Let me encourage you to get involved in the church and decide you want to see this church go to places it's never been before. And you can do it. The sky's the limit. How many of you raise your hand and believe I serve a God who can do the impossible? Raise your hand. How many of you believe I serve a God who's more than powerful enough to make it happen? Raise your hand. How many of you believe God honors our prayer? Raise your hand. How many of you believe God can take this church to the greatest dynamic it's ever been to in its history? Give him praise in the house then and let's ride this thing and let's believe it and let's move this church into the future with boundless faith and vision. Next, please remember us. We need your prayers and your support. We love you more than you will ever know. Before I go any further, I want to read you something that I've sort of compiled over the years. And I call this Roland's Absolute Truths of Life. And I'll come back to this. Roland's Absolute Truths of Life. I am going to write a nonfiction book at some point, and this will be the framework and the essence of the book. So don't you steal this from me. I'll come find you. (laughs) Roland's Absolute Truths of Life. Number one, it is not what happens. It is how we respond. I believe that. Number two, decisions determine destinies. Number three, what does the Bible say are the most important five words in life? Number four, people do what they do because that's where they are. That set me free more than anything I've ever heard. Number five, you are never free until you get past your past. Number six, and I stole this from the Bible. As a man thinks within himself, so he is. The older I get, the more I believe that's true. Number seven, you cannot measure spiritual truth using a carnal barometer. Number eight, you do not live by what you feel. You live by what you know. Number nine, the only sure way to guarantee failure is to quit. Number 10, peace comes from within, not what's happening around you. Number 11, most stress is a decision. Number 12, people's opinions only have the power you give them. Number 13, focus can turn ordinary sunlight into a power that can melt steel. They did a demonstration of this at Kirtland Air Force Base in Albuquerque, New Mexico. They had a bunch of mirrors out in the field on a bright, sunshiny day. They had a block of tungsten steel, two feet cubed. They started the clock, and they focused all those mirrors to focus the sunlight on that block of tungsten steel. It melted to a liquid in mere seconds. All because of one thing, focus. Number 14, inner healing begins with forgiveness. Number 15, there is no substitute for action. Number 16, words have the power of life or death. I stole that one from the Bible too. Number 17, biblical principles are always true no matter what situation you're in. Number 18, God does not respond to emotions or circumstances. He responds to faith-filled prayer. Number 19, truth has no agenda and requires no emotion. Truth simply is and stands on its own. Number 20, you will never mature until you can accept responsibility for your actions. Number 21, it is insufficient to understand or even agree with truth. 
Truth only benefits us when we apply it to our lives. Number 22, and I believe this with all my heart, selfishness is the beginning of every evil thing. Number 23, hurt people hurt people. Healed people heal people. 24, spiritual immaturity has caused more damage to the church than anything else in the world. Number 25, this will haunt you. If you are truly deceived, how do you know? Number 26, during times of transition, make sure you aren't just moving away from something, but that you're also moving towards something. Number 27, we cannot judge what we do not know. Number 28, we are never more spiritual than when we are obedient to the word of God. Number 29, faith has nothing to do with feelings, opinions, or circumstances. Faith is spiritual. Number 30, drum roll, the Holy Spirit will never tell us to do anything that contradicts the word of God. Number 31, it is not necessary to have an opinion about everything. There's a lot of freedom in that. Number 32, forgiveness and restoration are not the same thing. Forgiveness is commanded. Restoration is not. Number 33, all truth does not need to be told. Number 34, you reap what you sow. And number 35, you live this life for the next one. Pastor Donna and I truly we covet your prayers. We do need you to partner with us. We need you to cover us with fasting and prayer. We need you to support us in every way that you can. Because we're launching out into a, a, a kind of ministry matrix that I don't, I've never done before. I don't really know anything about evangelism and traveling ministry and I'll be honest with you, I haven't, haven't spent a whole lot of time cultivating relationships with a, a whole bunch of pastors to build up a network because I saw this coming. I just know I feel like it's what God wants us to do. I'm not saying we'll never pastor a church again. We might someday. But for now, in our hearts, it just doesn't seem to us that that's on the radar for the near future. And... There's no real reason behind that other than what we feel like is the leading of God. To do our best to do something that we've never done before. To do our best to do something different. To try to, to, try to do our small part to bring revival to this nation. Stop and think about this for a minute. This just kind of occurred to me the other day. Man, we have seen some horrendously powerful men and women of God come through the American spiritual landscape over the years. Think back. I mean, Dwight L. Moody, Smith Wigglesworth, say what you want to about him, but boy, he attracted a bunch of crowds. Benny Hinn, Billy Graham, who's done it better than Billy Graham? For a while, Jimmy Swaggart, Dwight Thompson. Who is the name of the woman that Catherine Kuhlman? Yeah, Catherine Kuhlman. I mean, we've seen some incredible stadium-filling moves of God. And you, you know what, though? If you think about it, with all of that, the morals and the spiritual life of our nation has continued 
to go down the drain. It has not transformed the spiritual life of our country. I'm not up here telling you that I am or that the Assemblies of God will or that the Southern Baptists are going to or that the Methodists will or that the next, you know, TBN, everybody thought that when the Trinity Broadcasting Network with all their TV stations all over the country and around the world was going to transform America, bring revival, and Pastor Don and I were heavily involved with TBN out in New Mexico, did the Praise the Lord program every week or two out there, live two-hour show all the time. Impacted a lot of people, but it has, it has not had staying power in our culture. Our culture has continued to devolve. Now, very carefully as I close, I'm not going to lay that responsibility at the church, his feet. But I am going to tell you this, and I believe it with all my heart. I believe that if we want to, we can do better.